I have a subject that I think all of you will be well acquainted with because you have all gone to school, I'm certain, and you have taken examinations. You may not like my title, Final Exam. I trust that you will forgive me as this elderly pastor reminisces a bit with you this morning. I'd like to take you back to my school days during the years of the Great Depression. My mother had passed away while I was just beginning the ninth grade in the Los Angeles Academy. And my father was forced to place me in the La Sierra Junior College and Academy that was nearby. It was a good thing for me. Fortunately, my father had taught me to love to work, and I still like to work. For in the six years at La Sierra Academy and College, I was forced to work most of my way. Since I was a good worker, I received uh, an excellent wage, which was above any of the other students at that time. They gave me 21 cents an hour. In the summer months of my vacation, I stayed at school and I worked 12 to 14 hours, six days a week. How well I remember my last year in the junior college in the year 1937. In order to graduate, I became interested in finishing and because of my drastic school program, of work and study, I was unable to keep up with the regular required subjects. And so in my last year, I was forced to take 21 college hours and work 40 hours a week. And those of you that have gone to college know that 16 is full work. Can you imagine my surprise when I discovered when the final examinations were posted that all 21 college hour exams came on the same day because I had a schedule that was not in keeping with the regular schedule. And furthermore, many of the exams came at the same time. And I went to the college folk and I begged for somehow some consideration, but to no avail. And of course, it's impossible to cram for 21 college hours in one day. And so I started in writing at seven o'clock in the morning and I did not finish till well late in the evening past seven o'clock that night. I can tell you when I finished, I was drained for I had gone continuously even without dinner. I couldn't sleep that night. You see, I was faced with a problem had I passed the exams. And I well knew that if I had not passed, it would mean another year of 40 hours of hard labor and more examinations. Had I been conscientious in my studies, did I really know my subject? The examinations would tell. Somehow, that evening, as I had finished, I felt like that little black boy 
who uh, came running into the drugstore one day and he asked if he could use the phone. And the proprietor said, well, sure. And so he rang up an employer in the town of a well-known business firm and asked for a job. He told him, I'm a good worker. I can really do things. I do exactly as I'm told. Oh, he told all of his good qualities. But he was turned down. He did not receive the job. But when he hung up the receiver, he had a grin on his face from ear to ear. And the proprietor said, how come? You asked for a job and you're turned down and now you seem to be happy. Oh, he said, that was my boss I was talking to. I was just checking up on myself. So I wonder today if we could spend a little time checking up on ourselves to see if we can pass the examination of the book of the epistle of First John. You know, there's a difference why God has the Gospel of John, and then we find the Epistle of John. I'll tell you what the reason is, the difference. If you have a question in your mind of whether or not Jesus was the Son of God, if he actually was here on this earth, read the book of St. John. But if you have a question of full assurance in Jesus Christ that you will have eternal life, then you read the book of 1 John. Let's read John 20, verse 31. You'll notice the difference. These things were written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ. So the book of John is written to give us absolute proof that he was here, that he died, that he was God's son. Then you will find, as you turn to 1 John 5.13, the purpose for this book. It says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. And I think we're coming to the end of time now when it does something to us to have assurance, to know the truth. The truth shall make you free. The truth gives us courage. So to set the record state, you remember once more I'd like to bring to your mind, if you have a doubt about Jesus Christ, and I hope there's not one of you here, read the Gospel of John. But if you have a question of assurance, read the epistle of 1 John. I find many today who are asking a mighty big question. How may I know with full assurance that I am living a life that will meet the requirements to be saved when Jesus comes? You see, many apparently believe they are doing their best, but somehow they are a bit bewildered. They are perplexed because they lack assurance. Thousands today believe they are saved, but when they take the acid test, they discover that they have actually never really been born again. 
And if they should die tomorrow, they would be lost eternally. So how do we stand this day before our God? Let's take a little examination this morning. Are you ready? Let's go. Question number one. Do you believe in the Son of God? 1 John 5, 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. If you believe, it says you may have assurance that you have been born again. But I'm going to ask you a question. Have you really, truly, definitely accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? You know, we hear the cry all about us today in Protestant churches, believe, believe, only believe. But I ask, what does believe mean? You see, there is far more to believing than just to acknowledge that Jesus Christ did come to this world and that he did die. In the story of the woman who was healed of a chronic illness, by touching the hem of his garment, we find help to fathom the answer to this question. Inspiration tells us that she, Jesus said, Thy faith hath made thee whole. Now the spirit of prophecy further reveals, as I read from the book Conflict and Courage, page 298, he gave no opportunity for supposition to claim healing virtue by the mere act of touching his garment. It was not through the outward contact with him, but through the faith which took hold of the divine power that the cure was wrought. So in spiritual things, a nominal faith in Christ, which accepts him merely as the savior of the world, can never bring healing to the soul. Are you beginning to see now that to believe there is something more? It is not enough to believe about Christ. We must believe in Christ. The only faith that will benefit, benefit us is that which embraces him as a personal savior, which appropriates his merits to ourselves. In other words, to believe in Christ means that we receive him as our personal savior, taking hold of his divine power and appropriating his merits to ourselves. A true belief in Jesus is one who receives his divine power to do the following. Review and Herald, May 8, 1913. Through his merits, we may be elevated to keep the commandments. And again, I read in Selected Messages 223 that whosoever would accept him might have power to live his righteous life. For, one, on page 367, righteousness is obedience to the law. And again, on page 392, we are to believe with the heart unto righteousness. You see, when the rich young ruler asked Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered, keep the commandments. Our willingness to do this 
through appropriating Christ's power and righteousness is the only way in which we can give evidence that we truly believe in Jesus. In Review and Herald, November 18, 1890, many cry, believe, believe, only believe, peace, peace. But they fail to arouse conviction or to convert men from the error of their ways. In First Selected Messages, 363, genuine faith appropriates the righteousness of Christ so that the sinner is made an overcomer with Christ. I hope you're beginning to see there's more to this just believe. Man must be emptied of self before he can be in the fullest sense a believer in Jesus Christ. Are you ready to follow and obey Jesus? as your Lord. You know, some years ago, a man advertised that he was going to cross the Niagara Falls on a cable, and that he would also push a wheelbarrow across that falls on the cable. Thousands gathered at the time on either side of the raging torrent of water. The steel cable was laid and the man climbed up onto the platform that had been built. He got a hold of the wheelbarrow, and he started to push it across. But when he started out over that raging water, the wind currents began to swing that cable, and the mist began to arise, and for the first time in his life, he was frightened. And they saw him beginning to edge back instead of going forward. Finally, he got back to the platform and he told the crowd, I can't do it. A man jumped up on that platform, put his arm around him and said, of course you can do it. He said, I have seen you do things like this before. He said, I remember in New York City when you went across from one skyscraper to another on a cable. And he says, I was in Europe in the Alps when you went from one mountain peak to another on a cable. He said, I know you can do it. He said, you really believe I can do it? Yes. And so the fellow got the wheelbarrow and he started out. He got a little bit further this time, but the wind was blowing and the mist was coming up. And somehow he lost his courage and he became sliding back on the road. This time the man was really adamant. Oh, he said, listen, get a hold of yourself. He said, I know you can do it. Positively. He said, do you really believe it? He said, of course I do. He said, get in the wheelbarrow and we'll go across together. They say, pardon the words, they ain't seen him since. <laughs> Did he really believe? Now I'm going to ask you a question. Are you ready to allow Jesus Christ to carry you through the perilous times that are ahead with full assurance regardless of the cost that he will place you on the other side in heaven do you really believe this is what is embodied 
How do you pass this first question? Are you ready to surrender fully and to just let him in your care, in his care, keep you going across until you are in heaven? Do you pass this first question? The question number two, what is your attitude toward sin? I'm speaking about S-I-N. 1 John 1, 8 to 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, and here's the assurance, no question about it, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the word is not in us. What is your attitude toward sin? Do you detest it? Is it something that's loathsome? Is it something that you consider filthy? That it's ugly? And when you stumble and when you fall to Satan's temptation, do you immediately confess? Do you hate covetousness? Jealousy? Gossip? Deceitfulness? Malice? Hypocrisy? Intemperance? In the book, Christ Object Lessons 158, we must know our real condition or we shall not feel the need of Christ's help. It is only he who knows himself to be a sinner that Christ can save. And then in Life Sketches 84, the more clearly fallen man comprehends the character of Christ, the more distrustful will he be of himself, and the more imperfect will his works appear to him in contrast with those which mark the life of the spotless Redeemer. What is your attitude towards sin? Testimonies to Ministers 147. My brethren, we are living in a most solemn period of this earth's history. There is never time to sin. You know, that's quite a statement. There is never time to sin. It is always perilous to continue in transgression. But in a special sense, in this time at the present time, we are now upon the very borders of the eternal world and stand in a more solemn relation to time and to eternity than ever before. Now let every person search his own heart and plead for the bright beams of the Son of Righteousness to expel all spiritual darkness and cleanse from defilement. Remember the promise? First John 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
You know, Jesus loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. And when we realize our sinful nature, we will plead with Christ to share his character with us that will make it possible that we too will have a hatred for sin to such an extent that Satan will find it impossible to entice us. How do you pass this question? Are you developing day by day a hatred for the evils of this world? How do you pass? Question number three. Are you an obedient an obedient servant? First John two verse three and four. And hereby, here comes the assurance now. Hereby do we know. You know when you know something, there is no question about it. Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. I didn't say that. This is God speaking. And it's pretty strong language, isn't it? I know that we claim to be Christians, but do we maintain that by obedience we are his children? You see, we must prove by our lives that we have truly been born again. And if so, we shall delight to obey him. We shall experience a glorious love to do his will. Perhaps I can best explain it by an illustration. You know, in life, there are different relationships. Certain relationships demand reserve and distance. All this changes when friendships become love. No longer are there two hearts, but one. The union makes the property of one the property of the other. Interests and paths are now together. Reserve is absolutely fatal in love. Love gives all, and love must have all. The wishes of one become the binding obligations of the other. The deepest longing of the heart is to gratify the other's desire. Listen to me. Anyone who has tasted of love knows exactly what I have just said. You know, sometimes we laugh at these, uh, well, we young teenagers that think they're in love. But remember, it's real to the pup. Puppy love. I beg of you to experience a true love in Jesus Christ. You see, the slightest reserve will grieve his heart. Nothing should separate us. Then we will want to go where he wants to go. And we will read only what he likes to read. And we will choose our friends 
whom he can also join in with. You see, your love for him will separate you from the world. It was a beautiful evening in Palo Alto, California. Our eyes met for the first time. I can't describe it. Her every wish was a command to me from that moment. Don't ask me about my classes. Don't ask me about my studies. I'll discuss that later. But her letters were read scores of times. I was thrilled when I realized indications that she was returning my love. We have been married now for over 55 years, and we're still sweethearts. How dare anyone claim to love Jesus Christ and say, I know him, and not keep his commandments? There must be no compromise with sin. I like the way the spirit of prophecy speaks of this scripture. In Sanctified Life, she speaks directly of this text that we are studying, page 65. John enjoyed the blessings of true sanctification, but Mark, the apostle does not claim to be sinless. He is seeking perfection by walking in the light of God's countenance. He testifies that the man who professes to know God and yet breaks the divine law gives the lie to his profession. For he that saith, I knoweth him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Tell me, honestly now, do you have divine affection and love for Jesus Christ that is bringing forth in your life, in your love affair with him, obedience? If not, put a big question mark as to whether or not you are really born again. Question number four. Are you separated from the world? First John 2, 15 to 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it is of the world. The world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You wanting assurance? Here it is again. If you do the will of God, you will abide forever. What a promise. Commenting on this verse, Ellen White said in Mount of Blessings 94, the strongest bulwark of vice in our world is not the inquisitive life of the abandoned sinner or the degraded outcast. It is that life which otherwise appears to be virtuous, honorable, noble, but listen, but in which one sin is fostered, 
one vice indulged. To the soul that is struggling in secret against some giant precipice, such an example is one of the most powerful enticements to sin. He who endowed with high conception of life and truth and honor does not willfully transgress one precept of God's holy law, has perverted his noble gifts into a lure to sin. Genius, talent, sympathy, even generous and kindly deeds may become decoys of Satan to entice others over the precipice of ruin for this life and the life to come. That's driving it home, isn't it? That's cutting it with a sharp knife, the sword of the spirit. This is why we must be peculiar today. We must be different, come out from among her, and be ye separate. Now that doesn't mean that we have to dress strangely and become eccentric. But we are to be a chosen people of God, hating the things of the world. By this I mean the lust of the flesh that has to do with sensual desires. The lust of the eye to see that which the flesh desires. Number two, does it take the edge off my spirituality? In other words, when I do this thing, do I feel closer to Jesus? Or do I find that I'm a little further away? Number three, can I ask God's blessings upon it? Here's this thing that I want to do. Everybody else is doing it. Can I ask God to bless me in prayer? Number four, will it be a stumbling block to others? Oh, I might be able to do this and still hold on, but when brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so or the neighbor down the street or the man that I work with, when he sees what I'm doing, will he be led from Christ or closer to him? Will I be a stumbling block? Number five, would I like to be doing this particular thing when Jesus Christ comes? Now you think that over. And last, number six, is it expedient? You ask those six questions and I will guarantee you, you will know whether you ought to do it or not to do it. Honestly, have you been indulging in worldliness lately? Remember, if any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. How do you pass? Question number five. Are you ready for this one? Do you love the brethren? First John 3.14. And here's the assurance. We know, no question about it, positively, not a doubt in this world. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother 
abideth in death. Oh, you know, sometimes they say something against us and sometimes they gossip about us and so forth. The greatest need among Seventh-day Adventists is to love one another. And I want to tell you, as persecutions gather, the church, can you love the brethren? The commandment that ye love one another is not speaking of a love as a mother does for her child. It's not speaking of a love that is between husband and wife. It's a love as God loves. You may know all the Hebrew, you may know all of the Greek, but if you do not have the love of God for his children, it will profit you absolutely nothing. I'm talking about that kind of love that suffers long, is kind and never envies, that does not puff itself up, that never seeks its own, that's not easily provoked, that never does evil, that never takes joy in sin, that's always happy and thrilled with the truth, that endures everything. This is the kind of love that we must have. Acts the Apostles 5.49, the strongest witness that God has sent his Son into the world is the existence of harmony and union among men of varied dispositions who form his church. This witness, it is the privilege of the followers of Christ to bear. But in order to do this, they must place themselves under Christ's command. Their character must be conformed to his character and their will to his will. Tell me, are you desperately in love with Jesus? If so, you will love those whom he loves. How do you pass? It's not easy. Question number six. Do you practice sin? 1 John 5.18. We know, here he is again, assurance. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Now don't get alarmed. Here is one place in the King James Version that is incorrect. It should have been written, we know that whosoever is born of God does not practice sin. You see, if a man continues to sin, we have a right to doubt his conversion. We may stumble, we may fall, we may yield in a moment of weakness, but will we immediately seek forgiveness? For example, in my early evangelism, 
I once baptized a man who had been given to drink for a number of years. For weeks he came to the church after he was baptized and was very faithful. And then one Sabbath morning as I stood up before the congregation, I noticed he wasn't there. And so I went out to visit him, but he wasn't at home. You guessed it. He was at the corner. Try as I would try to help him to return, he refused, no matter how hard. I could not get him to start again. If you have slipped, or if you are slipping in the same old mud hole, continuing in the same old sins, you had better search your heart. There's a big difference between profession and saying, I love Jesus, and of actual profession of living Christianity. In 2 Peter 1.4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lusts. You see, there is a power that if we will join, we may become partakers and live a victorious life. Second Peter 2.20 For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than in the beginning. For it had better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. He that is born of God does not practice sin. Do you pass this question? Question number seven. Are you anticipating the coming of Jesus Christ? First John 3, 1 to 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew not him, because it knew him not. Beloved, here we again we find this assurance. Now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know. No question about it. Absolutely. We know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You know, the evidence is abounding today that the coming of Jesus Christ is so near. Amen. You can almost feel it in the air. If you have not been startled and Lately, with the fulfilling predictions that were given in this scripture, you had better wake up, and I mean now. Let me just point out a few of the things that are happening as I speak. Jerusalem is becoming the center of this world today. 
It is soon to become the abode of the Pope. You mark my words. As you study Daniel 11:45 and 12:1, the Pope is getting ready to make peace throughout the world from Jerusalem. And then there's the AIDS, just one of many pestilences today. It's, it's, it's going to become worse than the black plague that took millions in Europe. I expect soon that hardly a family on the face of this world is going to be exempted from the plague of the AIDS. It's happening all around us, and the government says nothing about it because they are scared to death. There is nothing they can do. And it is coming quickly. And then, today, we see the papacy using the United States of America to bring about a new world order. Harnessing all the nations of the world to conform. And it's happening. And then today we see tremendous cooperation between the Protestants and the Catholics in an ecumenical movement. You know, I'm sure that some of you sat back in this last election and said, Hallelujah, look what's happening. It was absolutely tremendous but don't overlook that what happened was because Catholics and Protestants had joined and if they only will realize the power that is now within their grasp it could be but a short time that someday there will be a Sunday law the groundwork is being laid. Again, not only is the United States in a world, in a financial crisis, but every nation of this world is in trouble financially. There will come some of these days soon such a crisis that every support that you and I have ever known in this world will vanish. Then when you look at our church, two parties are developing within this church just as sure as I'm standing here this morning. The liberals versus the remnant. I can go to any church with my wife and stand at the door, and when I speak, you can almost tell by the handshake. I want to tell you, there is coming a great division. I expect in this coming general conference to take place this next summer that the liberals will take over as never before. And if you think what has been happening is really discouraging, you haven't seen anything. And it will only drive a wedge between the two groups. And the time will come when the remnants will be chased by God out of the church.
I mean, the, the, the liberals will be chased out of the church by God. For God will take hold. Furthermore, keep your eyes on the fact that church leadership is tampering today with the foundations of this message. I am hearing by telephone and letter everywhere that which is unbelievable that there is no sanctuary in heaven. A pillar of our faith. We were told that this was one of the last things that would happen. Furthermore, that the spirit of prophecy would become meaningless. It's nothing for an administrator today, as I heard this last week, in this area, who told, the spirit of prophecy doesn't mean anything. It's the church manual that counts. Listen, my friend, God never changes. But the manual can be changed with every wind that blows. Are you keeping your eyes on what is happening today? There is developing before us a call to obliterate all the standards of this church, to become like the churches of the world. The hierarchy is acclaiming more and more that they are to be obeyed without question. There is a program being studied today by the General Conference in which they will defellowship all those who refuse to become liberal. I want to tell you, these are days when we need to stay near to the Lord and be so in tune with him that we comprehend what's happening. Our churches are dying. Oh, I know we have a few churches that are overflowing, great big churches that have buildings like the Catholics, that you could never get them all in if you had them all there. They have a church membership of 2,000, and they only have a church that will hold 700, and of course it's filled. But I want to tell you, we are coming to a time when the churches are dying out here and there. The churches are half empty because they are not being fed anymore by the word of God as it is enhanced by the spirit of prophecy. You see, this is a time, what a time to be alive. Jesus is coming soon. These are the things that are happening that he told us would come. Our Lord will come forth praise his name, to unite us with those loved ones of ours that have been taken from us. What a morning that's going to be, friend. To see mother and father and husband and wife and babes and children. We shall be changed, given immortality. Are we ready? Are we living for that day? Are we praying for it? Ready to be sealed in victory over sin. How do you pass this question? Are you anticipating Christ's soon return? 
Will you be able to say we have waited for him and he will save you? You know, John gives us these seven questions and if answered correctly, it will give us full assurance. I trust that as we've been going over this morning that you do believe with all your heart in a personal Savior, the Son of God. I hope that you do hate sin. I hope that you are obedient. I trust that you are separating yourself from the world. I trust that you do love the brethren. I trust you are not practicing sin and that you are living daily in anticipation of Christ's second coming. You know, looking back over that fearful day when I was at La Sierra, they never told us for three days whether we passed or not. Back then in those days, they called the seniors in one by one into the president's office when they posted your name. For three days, I could hardly eat or could sleep. Finally, my name was posted, and I'll never forget, as I trembling went into the president's offer, office, Elder Cosentine was the conference president. It was the president of the school. And I shall never forget, as I stepped in, he told me that I could graduate. What a relief it was. Yes, in those grades, five A's, and four B's, thank God. The examination was over. I had exceeded my expectations. The teachers had said, well done. I want to tell you, I almost tore up the canvas. I never experienced such delight and joy and thrill. And never will you understand and realize what will happen when you see the Lord and you will be able to express that you have made it to heaven. And there you can, with the angels, live forever in immortality. It will be an experience, brothers and sisters, that will thrill you and never stop thrilling you. How will it be with you in that great day when every portion of your life is going to be scrutinized and there will be no time to cram. May each of you hear the great professor say those startling words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter in to the joy of my Lord. Let us pray. Loving Father, Every day we pray thee that these scriptures that we have studied this morning may give us full assurance that hour by hour we are ready to see Jesus. Oh God, give us victory over every sin. Fill our hearts with the Holy Spirit. Bless us, God, that we may be ready to see Jesus. But we ask it in his name. Amen.